I want to start with something just a little bit different today. I want to start by reading you an excerpt from a book by Zora Neale Hurston called Moses, Man of the Mountain. And this book is historical fiction. I think it allows us to sort of read between the lines of the scripture sometimes, to see, see something fleshed out in a new way than what we're used to. And so I want to share this with you. Um, it was written in the 1930s. Hurston is an American author, and she's written it as though the Hebrew people lived in the American South, African-American people specifically in the, the American South. So with all um, apologies for my terrible accent, let's read from Moses' Man of the Mountain. It'll help me if I have my glasses on. Joshua, I'm old. I ain't getting old. I'm already old. Supposing the Lord was to call me, what would become of Israel? Sooner or later, I'll have to go, and you'll have to govern the people in every way, Joshua, because there won't be nobody else to do it. Now, one thing I want you to get in your head. You can't have a state of individuals. Everybody just can't be allowed to do as they please. I love liberty, and I love freedom, so I started off giving everybody a loose rein, but I soon found out that it wouldn't do. A great state is a well-blended match of something of all the people and all of none of the people. You understand, the liquor of statecraft is distilled from the mash you got. How can a nation speak with one voice if they're not one? Don't forget now, if you do, you encourage all the stupid but greedy and ambitious to sprout like toadstools, and that's the end of right and reason in the state. Coddling and wheedling is not going to stop these destroyers. To a haughty belly, kindness is hard to swallow and harder to digest. I won't forget, Joshua said. I saw what you went through with some in Israel. Yes, sir, I'll do just like you tell me as far as I'm able. I got every faith in your good intentions, son. Just do the best you can. And Joshua, patience and understanding helps out a whole lot. What we've been trying to do all these 40-odd years was to channel the intentions of men. We got to fix their intentions. I'm wondering if the doings of the best of us will ever be good, but we can give them intentions to fumble their way back to God. Both men fell silent and thought on that a while. Then Moses stood up. Joshua, I'm going up. Onto that mountain there, Mount Nebo? Yes, Joshua, I love mountains. And then, too, I want to talk with God. Can I go up with you this time? No, Joshua, I got to ask God some questions. You stay with the people. Moses put his arm around Joshua's shoulder briefly and began to climb. Moses sat on the peak of Pisgah, looking both ways in time. He looked down first and saw the tents of Israel spread out like the pattern of a giant rug that moved and shimmered in the sunlight. It was a sight such as the world had never seen before. A whole nation assembled together and under tents. 
Prominent in the front was the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony that sheltered the Ark of the Covenant and the sacred mysteries that had made Israel a nation and set it apart from other nations. A splendid and orderly sight, a magnificent spectacle. Moses lingered over it a long time with his eyes. The sounds of Israel's existence came up to him. The lowing of herds, hammering of metal, sounds of strife, of crying and dying, and sounds of song. Moses felt happy over that. His dreams had in no way been completely fulfilled. He had meant to make a perfect people, free and just, noble and strong, that should be a light for all the world and for time and eternity. And he wasn't sure he had succeeded. He had found out that no man may make another man free. Freedom was something internal. The outside signs were just signs and symbols of the man inside. All you could do was to give the opportunity for freedom, and the man himself would make his own emancipation. But if he had failed in his highest dreams, he had succeeded in others. Perhaps he had not failed so miserably as he sometimes felt. Israel was at the Jordan inside as well as out. Perhaps he had done as much as it was possible for one man to do for another. He had put the future in their hands to do with according to their hearts and their talents. Over the river they would till fields that they had not cleared and dwell in cities that they had not yet built. He had given Israel back the notes to their songs. The words would be according to their own dreams now, but they would sing. They had songs and singers. They might not be absolutely free inside, but anyway, he had taken them from the sorrow of serving without will and had given them the strife of freedom. He had called to the memories of the forgotten words of love and family, they had the blessing of being responsible for their own. Lord, your people are here, he said. And then Moses took his rod in his right hand and lifted it, and Nebo trembled. The moon in its reddest mood became to him a standing place for his feet, and the sky ran down so close to gaze on Moses that the seven great sons of the universe went wheeling around his head. He stood in the bosom of thunder, and the zigzag lightning above him joined the muttering thunder. Fire and flame played all over the peak where the people could see. The voice of the thunder leaped from peak to plain, and Moses stood in the midst of it and said, Farewell. Then he turned with a firm tread and descended the other side of the mountain and headed back over the years. I share that with you because I think sometimes when we only have a few lines of a text, especially one that's a familiar story to us, Maybe it's one that we memorized in Sunday school when we were young, or one that has a particular inspirational quality that means something to us today. 
but it's become so familiar to us that I think sometimes scripture can challenge us to think, what is God trying to say to me today, new and fresh? I know we all know the story of Moses well. And I used to read this part of scripture from Deuteronomy 34 and feel a little bit sorry for Moses. You know, this was his life's work. He had brought the people to the edge of the promised land and then God did not let him enter. And so I think what Zora Neale Hurston's book does for me is it gets me out of feeling sorry for Moses. It kind of smacks me upside the head with some new aha moments. Her writing put me right there, and I hope it did for you too, with Moses on that mountaintop, overlooking the mosaic of the tents and the fields and the valley below. People living in those tents that he had lived with and loved and led. And her prose just illuminates for me something that I think I have missed before in reading this scripture, when I was caught up in the heartbreak and the fairness and the should-have-beens. And instead, what I think about now when I reflect on Deuteronomy 34, in light of her fleshing out some new ways of thinking about what might have been, what I think about is this. How many of us have peered over the edge into the promised land, so close we could smell it, and yet knowing we might not ever get to enter? Someone else will have to take it from here. This will be somebody else's project, somebody else's concern. Maybe you've served in political office or on the board of an organization and you worked for years with the staff or on a capital campaign to build a new building or maybe you came up with a new initiative for the organization only to have your term expire and know that it's gonna go to the next person in line to finish that work. Or maybe you were a teacher or a counselor or a coach and you were working with that at-risk kid and you saw such progress and you were on the brink of a breakthrough with this child only to have the school year in or the family move and all the work that you had poured into, the foundations of all that you had started will be left to somebody else. You'll never know the outcome of that. I have a friend whose wife died a few years ago and prior to her death, they had created this beautiful life together. Their two kids were on the verge of their own adult lives. Both parents had their careers in full swing. They had worked so hard and loved so well. And of course, her death left a giant hole in the family and it left me thinking it's not fair. It's not fair, God, that she didn't get to finish all that she started. She's not gonna to get to see what her children do. She won't get to know her grandchildren. She won't get to finish the work that she started in her own workplace, which was so meaningful. The things she poured herself into would eventually be woven into a beautiful tapestry that she would never get to see. And I'm sure you have felt that way before because we all know people who've died too young, leaving things unfinished. 
in each of these examples and countless others that I'm sure you can think of in your own lives, one thing stands out for me, though. Service and love. Our scripture reading this morning exalts Moses as the greatest prophet Israel has ever known, but it also offers this very humble title, almost an afterthought. In verse 5 it says, Moses, a servant of the Lord, died there in Moab. Did you catch it? He may have been exalted for his mighty power, his wonder, his, his signs of wonder, his leadership, his liberation of the Hebrew slaves, but ultimately Moses was this, a servant of the Lord, just like you and me. As Christians, being a servant of the Lord means we go where we're called, and we do what we can to spread the gospel message of love through word and deed for as long as we are able. We can never really know where that might lead us. Sometimes you might have a little inkling about where it's going, but you can't see the end, except maybe in our own imaginations. We have no assurance at all that we're going to get to see the job through to its final end. But we do know this. God will see it through. Paul wrote in his letter to the Philippians, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Moses envisioned a perfect people free and just, noble and strong, who would be a light for the world, a world in which poverty and hunger were no more, oppression and discrimination no more, a world where everyone was cared for, the widows, the orphans, the strangers, all of creation. He saw the potential of this human life that was to be built on justice and equality and peace. And no, I'm not talking about the themes we see in the 21st century today. What we're seeing and hearing about is Moses' vision of that promised land, which is the very kingdom that God has planned. And apparently it just takes a really, really long time to get there. In short, Moses took responsibility for fixing what is wrong with the world. Both you and I know that there's no way he could have done that single-handedly. And God's not one who's ever been known to reach down and do for us what we can do for ourselves. So how is that good work that Paul talked about going to be carried out to completion? Well, the Jewish tradition has a phrase called tikkun olam, which means repair of the world. It represents a wide range of ideals that would bring all of creation into a more perfect state. But the state of the world is far from perfect. So how can you or I possibly repair it? How could Moses possibly do it in one lifetime? Well, the answer is found in partnership with God. We commit our lives to improving the world around us. We work constantly, faithfully, moving forward one small step at a time until we attain a state of total perfection. But the goal cannot be reached in one generation. Judaism teaches that not only do we have to partner with God and God's people, but we must also partner between generations. 
each generation will improve the world as far as it can. Then it educates its children and passes on the mission to the next generation until the goal is reached. So there's this understanding that tikkun olam is going to take some time. The Talmud is a collection of teachings of the ancient scriptures, much like we have writings over the centuries um, that interpret our scriptures, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. The Talmud interprets the Hebrew scriptures for Jewish scholars. And one of their prominent Jewish writers in the Talmud is Rabbi Tarfan. Rabbi Tarfan lived at about the same time as Christ, actually, just a couple of decades later. And he wrote this. He said, it is not your responsibility to finish the work of tikkun olam, the work of perfecting the world, but you are not free to desist from it either. I love this teaching because it says there is meaning in the work of our lives, even if we don't get to bring it to completion. Individually, you don't have to fix the world's grave problems, but that in no way lets you off the hook. And it does not mean that our work is not important. We have a responsibility to move the stick forward. And that could be a hard truth for some of us who like to finish what we start. Not that that's me. But it does remind me of a quote from the superhero movie, the Pixar movie, The Incredibles, when Mr. Incredible says, no matter how many times you save the world, it always manages to get back into jeopardy again. Sometimes I just want it to be saved. Just stay saved. He said, I feel like the maid. I just cleaned this mess up. Can't we just keep it clean for like 10 minutes? <laughs> but Mr. Incredible aside, no one person can save the world or the business or the beloved student or the neighbor's soul. The battle is not yours alone. It's God's. You alone cannot finish the work of tikkun olam. You may not get to the promised land. We have to trust in our children and our children's children and the generations that have not even been born yet to take up that task. We are part of a living chain of people who have dreamed and envisioned and worked for and suffered for a better world. On the night before Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, he gave a speech. Here's a little bit of what he said. It might sound familiar. Well, we've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop, and I don't mind. Like anybody, I'd like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will, and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I have looked over, and I have seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, will get to the promised land. Sounds a lot like Moses, doesn't it? A lot like partnering with the next generation to finish the work. A lot like a living chain of people who dream and work and suffer for a better world. Sounds a lot like a servant of the Lord. Martin Luther King Jr., of course, was shot and killed the very next day. 
Friends, life comes with very few guarantees, save this. God is with us. When I look at the work yet to be done in this beautiful world, sometimes it can overwhelm me with a sense of futility. But I am one in a very long chain. I am one person over thousands of years and among millions of servants of the Lord. And I know that in every monumental, meaningful movement in the world, there have been courageous people who have worked to make change, an end to slavery, giving women the right to vote, the civil rights movement, the reformation of the Christian church. I could name dozens and dozens of causes all the way back to the apostles who started the Jesus movement in the first century. And in every example, there are courageous people who never got to see the end result, the fruits of their labor. And I give thanks that we now get to stand on those shoulders. Every once in a while, we get a glimpse of what has actually transpired in the world over the course of history. And it reminds me what has yet to be, and I'm actually filled with hope and a little, bit, a little bit of relief, if I'm being honest, because we don't have to fix it all in our lifetimes. But I'm filled with hope because there's meaning and goodness and glory in the work that we are doing now. God will see it through. And one day, we too will descend the other side of that mountain and head back over the years to the promised land. So let us pray.